Developmental language disorder, or DLD, refers to difficulties learning language and affects approximately 7% of the population. That is, two children in an average class of 30. DLD causes difficulties with speaking, understanding and reading, with a high risk of dyslexia. The complexity of DLD means that it can have serious and long-term impact on development and is a lifelong condition. Raising Awareness of Developmental Language Disorder, or RADLD.org, is an organisation helping to increase awareness of this hidden but common condition. Since 2017, they have organised an International Awareness Day during October. This year's event takes place on Friday the 16th of October with the theme DLD See Me. And families, teachers, speech and language therapists and other professionals are joining in to help people understand the personal experience of living with DLD. Due to ongoing restrictions with the COVID-19 pandemic, most of this year's events are taking place online. Because of this, we decided to create a series of podcasts where we interview people about what DLD means to them. So I'm here today with Julie Sweeney. Julie is a secondary school teacher and a mother to three children, Caitlin, Jack and Connor. Connor is six and in senior infants and is a big fan of computer games. He also has DLD. So Julie, can you just tell us a little bit about Connor? Hi, Kira. Yes, Connor is an extremely bright and he's happy and he's your typical cheeky six-year-old little boy um, into screens, as you mentioned there, and Power Rangers and, you know, just getting up to the general divament like any other six-year-old little boy. Um, and I guess I would describe him as just peddling so hard to keep everybody else just in view, you know, in terms of this race that we're all on in life. Um, he has to work so much harder than anybody else I know. And he's just so determined to get on with things. He has been um, described by one of his previous preschool teachers as for someone with no words, he's a great communicator. And I think that just sums his attitude up in relation to DLD. If one way doesn't work, he'll try another way and he'll just keep going until he gets his point across. Great, yeah. And when did you first notice that he was having difficulty with communication? So because Connor is the, the youngest of three, I knew early on that he was having difficulty with his speech. Now, he also has extended family members who presented with speech language difficulties as well. So I knew that we were heading down this pathway of a speech language diagnosis, although little did I know what we were actually facing into. Um, so I guess for, as a very young child, I was aware of the, you know, the, um, of the attitude that, like, oh, he'll grow out of it, give him time. Um, but I suppose because there was that family history, I was aware that no, it wasn't something you were going to grow out of and we did need help. So I did wait until his second birthday um, to give him a bit of time. And then I brought him to his GP for a referral. And even at that initial meeting, I came up against the give a time attitude. Um, but once I did mention that there was a family history, I think, you know, it was taken that bit more seriously. And a, an initial referral was made then to um, a local speech language therapist to, to, you know, assess him and see, was there any difficulties? Um, and I suppose looking back, you know, did we notice anything? I knew, for example, he skipped the typical dada 
kind of as a baby and went straight to mama. Now, of course, being a mom, I was delighted. You know, here's my child saying mama instead of dada. Um, but actually, in hindsight, when you look back at it, he couldn't master the the the, the sound. Um, and in fact, he's six now since June, and it's only in recent months he's actually managed to say dada. Um, so that just gives you an indication, I suppose. He was having difficulty very, very early on. He was also, looking back on it in hindsight, a really, really quiet child to play. He was a dream third child to have. And, you know, he would play quietly with his toys. But again, knowing what I know now, um, it, was, it would be an indication, you know, for other parents. He didn't make those typical playful sounds when he was playing like he was big into Tom's tank engine and things like that and he didn't have the whole choo 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 kind of you know um so definitely when I look back now there are markers um that I would be more aware of looking back at it okay yeah and so you you had the referral and what happened then yeah so brought him to the GP shortly after his second birthday and had that referral to the initial um, speech-language therapist in our local primary care. Um, now, funny enough, she actually had dealt with those other family members as well that I mentioned. Um, so she was well aware of the family history when she knew who Connor was. Um, so he was about two and a half, maybe, at, at that point in time. And actually, I look back at his report from that very, very first appointment when I was preparing for this podcast. And... He was described as having, now I quote this, not only a severe expressive language delay, but also the possibility of a severe phonological speech sound impairment. And the management for that, written in black and white, when I look back at his body last night, was waitlist for intervention and handouts and early ideas. Now, Kira, as we all know, the waitlist in Ireland for the HSE is abysmal. And as a parent who's undergone SLT myself as a child, I wasn't adequately trained or equipped to deal with this myself at home. I couldn't adequately implement those handouts maybe because, you know, I don't have an SLT training background. And really as a parent, and I must admit, as a busy working parent of three, you know, mom to three kids, it's a, I mean, I have a full-time job in itself. And all of this SLT homework as such is an additional full-time job. Um, so we started on that journey. We got sporadic blocks of therapy uh, where we'd maybe get six sessions in a block, one hour at a time. Um, initially, I think you might do one or two weeks kind of in quick succession and then try to space them out towards the end of the block, just literally to try to get as much out of that block you know, as you could. And then obviously you would be waitlisted again for another block and you'd be waiting seven months to get another block. Now this was all when he was about maybe two and a half, three. And he continued on then into, he got a referral into the local early intervention team. And, you know, during this time, I kind of would have made very little progress in those speech language sessions. And um, he found the sessions very long as well. Remember now he's only about kind of three and it's an hour long session. Um, so, you know, they were too long as a session for him as well, probably. Um, now that's, I mean, 
that's no disrespect to the SLT therapist that he did see. She did her level best to help him and to help us as a family. But just for Connor, those sessions, they were too long and they were too sporadic. Um, so when we eventually got called to the early intervention team, we had to move the therapy then to a new town, you know, to the neighbouring town um, over the road, into a new team. And during his time there, he interacted with a total of four different SLP therapists, um, which in itself is very, very broken up. It's very difficult to form a kind of a, a working relationship with, with, with an SLT therapist. Then it's difficult for Connor as a young child to become familiar maybe with that person. And, you know, so the first meeting is always taken up with the kind of the background history and explaining it all over again. Whereas if it was the one person all the time, I feel you would make more progress, you know. Um, so that was, I suppose, look at that, that was our particular journey. Um, and again, it's circumstances outside of, of anybody's control, I suppose, you know. Um, people went to maternity leave and, and, and so forth. And, and that's, you know, that's the way it is. Um, but just with replacement of, of services like that and, and the HSE just the how the whole service is structured maybe worked against Connor to a certain extent um, I do remember in terms of diagnosis when Connor has been assessed for entry into the language local unit um, one of his SLT assessments for that language unit the, the report came back and it said it was not possible to fully administer the assessment with Connor due to the severity of his speech sound difficulties. Now, that was really, really hard to read as a parent, mm -hmm. that they couldn't actually fully administer the test because his speech was so severely impacted. Um, you know, that, that kind of stopped us in our tracks a little bit, that in spite of all of his blocks of therapy, he was still that severe you know um and it was in that report at about age four and a half that the phrase developmental language disorder was first used okay yeah and so what kind of help have you had you know since then or so to date connor had those blocks of therapy initially in primary care and then with the early intervention team he had a group session with that early intervention team which he really enjoyed actually and he met other boys in a similar position to himself. And I think it was probably the first time that he felt, God, I fit in here. You know, that I'm not the only one with this issue. And um, so he really did enjoy those group sessions. He, um, he had some sporadic therapy with the early intervention team on his own as well. But to be perfectly honest, it wasn't until he started in the language unit in Skull Government in Manor that he made any real significant progress with his speech. Um, he started school last September, 12 months, still largely unintelligible. I mean, at five years and two months, the only words that he had really understandable by anyone outside the immediate family was probably Mama. Um, and all of his initial work was focused initially on sound production. And when I look back at those early days, you know, in school last year, it was all the b and pa and duh sounds that he had to work on just to make, you know, he had to work really, really hard just to make those sounds. Um, and he's, he's speech language therapist in the language class is amazing. 
you know, I was promised magic by everybody when I said that Connor was going to be going to the language class and anybody who was aware of it said it will be magical. What they do in there is phenomenal. And really, you know, that that's what has happened. Um, but I think just for the first time with Anne, I had somebody who explained the process of therapy to me, maybe because I'm a teacher myself. If I understand it, I can implement it that much better. So, you know, the why we are doing something the way we're doing it um, and the importance of all of that foundation work. Some of the exercises were previously given to me in handouts as homework from those other therapy sessions, but it was never really explained to me why this is important and, you know, what is the benefit of doing these exercises or these games as such. Um, and maybe just if I had understand, understood the process that bit more, I might have worked even harder, you know, at some of the things um, going down back down through the years. But again, because those sessions were sporadic, it was difficult to follow up. It was difficult for me to say to, to a therapist um, in a one hour session. I found that hard. And, um, you know, we were struggling with this. You didn't have that weekly kind of follow up um, sessions, but, you know, and... And I must say he's he's mainstream teacher as well, Katie. They've worked wonders for Connor and you know really have delivered on their promise of magic. Great, yeah. And how are things now? Yeah, so Connor uh, turned six at the end of June. He's in seniors, as you said, in that language class. And he has progressed to the point of being able to he's working on his CVC uh, phonetics. He can put very short little simple sentences together so this week for example we were working on ing verbs um, so he can make a short little sentence like the boy is sitting on the chair so at six that's the level that he's at I do notice his language processing can be off a bit at times as well so we had to do a lot of work on his understanding of things like over under beside behind and he can mix up his phrases, like we'll say his and her, he can mix those up. He'd often omit smaller words in a sentence. So if he was saying something like the ah would be left out of the sentence, you know, he kind of shortens it. Um, his grasp of past tense would be off as well. Um, you know, he wouldn't use the phrase like I sat on a chair. It, it would be, um, you know, I sit on the chair at school if he was telling me something that happened in school earlier that day. So he wouldn't use the phrase, I sat. So that kind of whole grasp of, of I suppose, tense and language is just that bit, it's off, I suppose, is the, the way I would describe it. But on the whole, look, progress has been made, a phenomenal progress. Um, it must be said, it's been made at language class. We are truly lucky that he got his placement in there. Yeah. And what hopes? do you have for the future for Connor? Um, I hope that his time at school isn't interrupted this year with COVID-19. Um, school closed back in March uh, last year and we had no SLT input in all of that time while school was closed until he went back in September. Um, you know, so I just hope that doesn't happen again this year. I do worry about his transition into class of 30 next year into mainstream in, in the local primary school. And I worry about how will he cope with that? Um, I suppose I am hopeful in the sense that he has an unbelievable determination to succeed himself. 
you know, his whole positivity is praised by everyone that he meets. Um, he works really, really hard to communicate. He's an incredibly good problem solver and he can find a workaround when somebody can't understand him. He'll always, you know, he'll, he'll try another way and if that doesn't work, he'll, he'll come up with plan C. So he's a really, really good problem solver that way. Um, so I suppose I hope and I, I know he will carry that attitude with him throughout his life and he'll succeed at whatever he puts his mind to. I hope the government get their act together and they'll put in place ring-fenced support for children like Connor. I know, for example, in the UK, access to a language unit is a minimum of two years and then you'd have follow-up support all the way up through the education system when you do transition back into mainstream. But here, Kira, access to language units are incredibly oversubscribed. I think in our unit um, alone this year, there was something like in the region of 20 plus applications for just three positions. Um, you know, there, there was a certain amount of people, there was four people staying on for juniors from last year. So there were only three available positions. And I think I heard something like 23 people applied for those positions. I mean, that is absolutely ludicrous. Um, and even if you do get a placement, then it is capped at two years. So to compare that to the UK system, where it's a minimum of two years, here it's a maximum of two years in the language unit. Like Connor's placement has been impacted by COVID closure. When schools closed in March last year, he'd roughly 63% of the school year completed, which meant that he lost out on about 37% of that very specialised intervention that he gets in a language unit. And I hope if school has to close again this year that a decision is made to extend his time in language unit into a third year next year. Now, I don't know if that can happen. Um, you know, if, if it can't, I hope that he's at the very least prioritised for access to SLT after his release, um, you know, from the language unit back into mainstream primary school, because it wouldn't be the same primary school. He has to attend a, a language unit that's 15 kilometres away from our house. So it's the next town over. And um, so he'd be transitioning back to our local mainstream primary school. And I know, for example, one of his cousins who did leave the language class um, just before Connor would have entered. Now that child has received absolutely zero intervention since leaving the language unit. So they went from having three days a week SLT support in language unit to having nothing. Now this is in spite of um, the need for, for continued intervention and support was mentioned in her, um, I suppose, kind of release from the language unit. But she's had zero follow-up support. DLD is a lifelong condition and it doesn't simply disappear after two years. Um, and I suppose, again, because I'm a teacher, I can see the need for language support and language classes, even at post-primary school level. I've no doubt that there are teenagers struggling in front of me every day in class with DLD. And there just simply isn't sufficient intervention for them, you know. There's no post-primary language unit at all in Ireland for anybody with severe DLD throughout their teenage years. Um, you know, there, there, there's no school equipped to adequately offer them any kind of proper intervention or service. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of hopes there. Um, 
I'd really like as well, I suppose, from a parent of a child with DLD, I'd like to see dedicated support for family. I just find if Connor had maybe like an ASD diagnosis, I could go onto Facebook, for example, and I could find a support group. I could probably go to a local group, you know, that would meet in my local town. I'll COVID aside, I know those groups probably aren't meeting. But in a normal year, I could probably find a local support group that I could go to and I could meet other parents in the same position and we could have, you know, to chat about the journey. I would get support from their experiences. I would benefit from, benefit from their knowledge. And I just find sometimes I feel that I'm operating in a vacuum in relation to, to DLD. And I'm reinventing the wheel all the time to find out, you know, how do you apply for language classes? Um, what, what happens afterwards? How do I follow up and support? You know, there's just, there's no work for me to chat to. There's no Facebook support group. There's no physical support group to go to. Um, so I'd really like more dedicated supports for families where information about DLD is readily available and it's easily accessible. Yeah. Yeah. And what does having a child with DLD mean for you and your family? That's a very good question. Uh, and it's one that's never asked, actually. Um, you know, we, we rarely get asked as a family, how are we coping? So Connor is one of three. And certainly his siblings would have lost out. Um, you know, there are missed jokes as a child that he can't take part in the same way that he otherwise would have maybe because he just doesn't process the language the same way. Um, you know, they certainly, as a family, like his siblings would have given up so much time and attention from us, he, their, their, their parents. Going to therapy sessions, researching stuff online, you know, doing all his speech language homework, the absolute battle that we had to get the AON um, assessment of needs process and to access services, it's nonstop. It's constantly following up on something, making phone calls, sending emails, you know, um, and then actually going to the sessions and doing the homework. That takes so much of our family time. It all revolves around Connor and his, his speech language, you know, therapy sessions and his speech language homework. Um, so they've given up a huge amount of family time. We also have to constantly interpret for Connor with outsiders as he wouldn't necessarily be understood by them. Um, you know, although he'll obviously give it a go himself first, he's really, really good to try everything. But sometimes you do have to step in and interpret for him. And I can imagine, you know, at six now, he's getting that bit more conscious about that. And, you know, he doesn't really want you to be interpreting for him. Um, but there are other things as well, Kira, like staying over at his nanas and granddads. Um, you know, his other siblings would have stayed over on their own, but they would be reluctant to have him on his own um, because they're just that bit afraid that they wouldn't understand him, and especially when he was that bit younger, maybe. Um, so he's never had a sleepover at nana and granddad's on his own, you know, and that's, that's a real childhood kind of memory, isn't it? Um, another thing that gets to me actually as well is just nobody understands about language class. And I know, for example, from talking to two parents, maybe in the mainstream school where he does attend, um, but some of them have said to me, God, I thought that was an ASD class because that's their only kind of widespread understanding of any kind of a special class 
attached to a mainstream school would be ASD units. And, and that's true, absolutely no fault of their own and no fault of the school. But they just don't understand there is such a thing as a DLD class because obviously they don't know about DLD. Um, so there's a lot of assumptions made then around that, you know, um, and that can be hard as a family because you feel then that you're explaining DLD to everybody because I'm big into educating everybody that I meet about DLD. Um, so I just feel that I'm constantly explaining what a DLD is, what a language class does, um, you know, and, and the importance of that and the importance of having more of them. Okay, yeah, not easy, not easy. So just to finish, really, the theme of this year's DLD Day is DLD See Me. And as you um, very eloquently already told us, DLD is a hidden disability and not well known. So what would you like people to see and know about DLD? I'd like them to know, for example, that Connor is, he's really funny. He's a regular little boy, just like, you know, everybody else's regular little six-year-old boy. He has something called DLD, Developmental Language Disorder, which doesn't impair his understanding of what you're saying to him. You wouldn't believe the amount of even medical personnel who have spoken about him in front of him. So it's really important to understand um, his receptive language is quite good and he understands everything that has been said in front of him. So, you know, just that, that awareness is actually really important from a, a self-esteem point of view. DLD is incredibly common. It affects one in 14 people, about two to three people in every classroom in Ireland. Whether it's diagnosed and recognised is probably another story. I would like DLD to be as well known as all of those other acronyms, you know, ASD, ADHD, DLD is more common than these, but nobody has heard about it. But I hope now that they have, and that makes it, you know, a little difference to a big number of people. That's great, Julie. Thank you so much for sharing your 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 personal story with us. And not easy at times, and you've been through a lot. Um, Connor sounds like a very resilient, happy little boy, but it's very unfortunate that you've had to fight so much to get him the services that he needs. Would like to say DLD is a lifelong condition and as he grows and moves back moves back into his mainstream classroom he will need different kinds of support but ongoing support and I really hope that this can be recognized by policymakers this need for continuing and ongoing support and um, I know your story today that you shared with us will help a lot of families out there living with DLD but also will help um, speech and language therapists and other professionals to be aware of what it is like for families and what they need um, so just if you are listening for more information, please go to www.radld.org where you can find out more about DLD and International DLD Awareness Day. In Ireland, the DLD Implementation Group are hosting an online gathering of experts, families, people with DLD, teachers, psychologists and more on the 14th of October. And you can find out more about that on www.iaslt.ie. We've also organised for landmarks throughout the country to be lit up in the colours purple and yellow, which are associated with the campaign. And lots of other local events are happening in schools, language classes, clinics and universities around the country. If you search for the hashtag DLDCME, S-E-E-M-E, on social media, you can follow these events. 
So I just want to say thanks so much again to Julie again and um, for sharing her story. And um, uh, that's all for me. <laughs>